The Lord calls us to worship this morning uh, from the book of Psalms, chapter 147. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and praise is beautiful. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He counts the number of the stars. He calls them all by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked down to the ground. Sing to the Lord now with thanksgiving. Amen. Father in heaven, we pause at this beginning of our service to pray a prayer of invocation together. Lord, we pray that you would join our hearts together, that this would be the prayer of your people, that you would pour out your spirit upon us as we worship you this day, that all that we say and do, our singing, our speaking, our thoughts, and even the things that we hear, Lord, that you would lift up our hearts that we might rejoice in the gospel. We praise you this day for our hope in the resurrection, for your kingly reign over all of the world that you have made and all of your people. Lord, we thank you as we join our hearts together with one another and also with all of your people and all the angels in the heavenly hosts to praise you this day. And Lord, we pray that you would help our hearts to be set upon you in this season, that we might rejoice in the first advent of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray now a prayer that you taught your disciples to pray as we say out loud. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. This morning, for our confession of faith, we're going to recite out loud together the Apostles' Creed. 
If you would like to look there, it's in the green hymnal on page 845. Because this is a profession of our faith and confession of what we believe the scriptures to say, I'm going to ask you, dear Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand God the Father Almighty, from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. For all who call upon the Lord by faith and look to the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of their soul, Hear the assurance of God's pardon of your sins from the book of Isaiah chapter 55. The prophet writes, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Amen. Let's continue to worship the Lord now by singing hymn number 196, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus.
children can come forward at this time for the children's sermon. Good morning, boys and girls. Come on forward, find a seat. Good to see you all. Good morning again, boys and girls. It's good to see you all. This morning, we celebrate the second Sunday in Advent. And I wanted to ask if anybody knows what the second candle around the Advent wreath represents. Does anybody know what the second candle is? All right, I'm going to share a verse with you. We're going to talk about what that candle means and represents. This is from the book of Micah in the Old Testament, chapter 5, verse 2. It says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. If you had to pick a town out of what I just read, which town do you think it is that the second candle's for? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. It's the Bethlehem candle. And this candle is to be a reminder to us in this season of faith. If you had to pick a place out of all the places of the earth, if you were king over everything, likely you wouldn't pick Bethlehem to be the place where you would say, this is where I was born from. And so it's a reminder to us, in the Lord choosing Bethlehem, in the Lord choosing that to be the place where Jesus would be born, it's a reminder to us that the Lord doesn't choose us because of our greatness or our power or our skills. He chooses us for His own good pleasure. And this candle is also meant to be a reminder to us of preparation. And I want to ask you, of of your family, are you the person in your family that loves to be prepared and get somewhere on time? Anybody? (laughs) I try to, but I can't. I I see some hands. And I, I thought about asking your parents. I figured maybe they would be able to point it out. Which of you would say you're kind of the person that is... Well, we'll get there when we get there, even if it's not when it starts. We're going to get there on time. Yeah, a few more hands went up there. And so this this candle, this season of Advent, the second candle is to remind us of our need for preparation and hope in the Lord and faith in Him. So one of the things about the Lord Jesus coming back in His second Advent is it will be just as unexpected as it was in His first. And so while we think about Jesus coming from that little town in Bethlehem. It's also a reminder to us that the Bible says that one day he will come again and every eye will see him. But it's also going to be something like what the Bible calls a thief in the night. So I'm going to pray for you now that the Lord would cause your hearts to be preparing for his second coming as we remember his first. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for uh, this wonderful tradition of the Advent season. And the time that we and our children get to remember what it means that our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into the world as a little baby. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for the scriptures that tell us about this blessed occasion. And I also pray, Lord, that we would be thinking about in our hearts preparation now for our Lord and our King's second coming. That he will come in glory and majesty and we will worship before him. Lord, I pray for the hearts of our covenant children as they think about what it means that Jesus came into the world as a little baby. 
that he came to die on the cross and that he promised after his resurrection, he promised to his disciples that he would come again. Lord, I pray that this would be in our hearts and our minds this, this season. As we celebrate Advent, may we set our hope on the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ as it will be revealed. And Lord, we thank you that nothing on this earth can compare to the glory that we will see in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. This morning for our responsive reading, we're going to read Psalm 19. It's on page 790 in the green hymnal. If you would please turn there, we're going to read this together. Page 790. Psalm 19. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with bold. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Let's finish this together. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Let's stand together and please turn in your hymnal to number 225 as we sing together once in Royal David City.
This morning for our pastoral prayer time, I wanted to pray for um, our denomination's disaster response ministry. Many of you likely saw the tragedy that took place in Tennessee with the tornado and uh, loss of life and loss of property. And I have to admit to you now that anytime I see or hear about a disaster, my mind immediately goes to how the Lord is preparing His people and others to go and respond to a disaster to help people and to run into places where many of us would probably be afraid to even run away from, let alone run towards the danger. And so I want to pray this morning for God's people that as they go into those places and seek to help people pick up pieces of their homes and grieve with them, that they would go running into that disaster with the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ this time of year. And I do want to pray for Steve Jessen and Jeff Kenimer and others who are involved in this ministry, that the Lord would bless them and keep them safe as they go to respond. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we may pause in this service of worship to call upon your name, to seek your face, to be in your presence, and to call you our Father. It is a blessing and a privilege beyond all expression to be able to pray to the God of heaven, the one who made everything that we see, who created our bodies, and who gives us hope in the Lord Jesus Christ that one day we will rejoice in our own resurrection as we look to the Lord Jesus today. Lord, we thank you and praise you that we may come into the throne room of heaven clothed in the righteousness of our King Jesus. Lord, we thank you and we praise you that you take away our sins from us because you poured out all of your wrath upon your Son, that we might be redeemed and called sons and daughters of the living God, that we who were your enemies, you chose to take out of the kingdom of darkness and to bring into your kingdom of marvelous light. And Lord, we confess humbly and happily before you that you did this of your own free will and not according to anything that we could be or do. Even in our best efforts, our righteousness isn't enough. And so we ask, Lord, that you would hide us in the shadow of your wing, in the cleft of your rock, that we might behold your glory even this day in worship. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your hand of providence in our lives over this last week and the trials and tribulations that you have brought us through. And Lord, we pray for brothers and sisters in Tennessee who are going through this tragedy. And we pray, Lord, that you would be merciful that the gospel would go forth. And we do lift up Steve and Jeff and others who are part of our denomination's disaster response ministry and others who will go and respond and go into places that are difficult, things that are awful to see, that cause us to cringe and hide our faces from, from the loss and the tragedy. And we pray, Lord, that you would send them filled with your spirit and the power of the gospel that they would speak the words of life That as they help people clean up things and put things maybe in sheds or find boxes, that they would be able to pause in a divine appointment and share the hope of the gospel. That you, Lord Jesus, came in our moment of greatest need. When we could do nothing to help ourselves, you came. Lord, I pray that you would use this situation as terrible as it is for your glory. That you would turn it into good. That there would be lost people who do not know you who will hear the gospel over these next few days and weeks. And Lord, we thank you for our own participation in this ministry through Steve, and we pray that you would bless him 
and in, even encourage him now this morning as we pray. Lord, I do pray for our church family also in this time of the year. There are many among us who are having difficulties and trials that continue, and even being here today is a representation of that. Lord, I pray for those in our midst who have uh, struggles in their health and physically, and I pray for those, Lord, who are depressed at this time of year, that it's all they can do to move from one day to the next. And I just pray, Lord, that you would comfort them in the hope of the gospel, that by your spirit you would confirm your promises and goodness to them. And Lord, help us as we go through dark times that we would remember that you are with us and that you promise in your great covenant promises as our covenant king that you will never leave us and never cause us to walk anywhere that you are not carrying us. May that comfort our souls. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
I want to invite you this morning to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Luke, chapter 1, we're going to read verses 67 to 75. And if you would also, please put a finger in 1 Kings, chapter 12. We're going to read a few verses there also. Luke, chapter 1, verses 67 to 75. This is the word of the Lord. Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And then 1 Kings chapter 12, beginning in verse 25. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim and dwelt there. Also he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam king of Judah. Therefore the king asked advice made two calves of gold, and said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set one up in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Now this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. He made shrines on the high places and made priests from every class of people who were not of the sons of Levi. Jeroboam ordained a feast on the fifteenth day of the eighth month, like the feast that was in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did at Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he had made. And at Bethel he installed the priests of the high places which he had made. So he made offerings on the altar which he had made at Bethel on the fifteenth day of the eighth month, in the month which he had devised in his own heart. And he ordained a feast for the children of Israel, and offered sacrifices on the altar, and burned incense. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. This is our second Sunday in our Advent series, The Coming of the King. With Zacharias' prophecy and these words about Jeroboam's kingdom, we are looking at a sermon entitled, A Broken House. Last week we looked at the beginning of this Christmas narrative, and we looked at God's promises to David the king in Israel. Today we look at Zacharias' prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ coming as the Messiah of his people and at one of the various fallen kings of the nation of Israel, Jeroboam. When you hear that word, that phrase, broken house, what comes to mind? Maybe you think about a leaky roof or maybe a floor that you kind of quietly step around at night so it doesn't creak. Or maybe you think about a home or a family stricken with grief. 
an absent parent, or maybe a child who died early. In Isaiah 55, in our assurance of pardon this morning, we read that God says that His ways and His thoughts are higher than ours, that just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so His ways and His thoughts are higher than our own. His ways are mysterious in the Bible that we read. And His ways are mysterious in the day-to-day messiness of our lives in this fallen world also. If you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, you are living now in this fallen world in the realities of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. The reality that you have a new identity in Jesus. You have been taken as a dead person and made alive. You have been given the favor of God, the forgiveness of your sins because of Jesus, the freedom that the blessed people of God hoped for, freedom from enemies, freedom from sin, freedom from fear of death. You have been given a future and a hope. You have a home that nothing in this world can take away and that no person in this world can take away. Yet in our limited, lower than his kind of thinking and ways of processing life, sometimes we draw a straight line in terms of our circumstances and even in time from God's promise to the fulfillment of it. We think if God has said this, then this is the way it must look in my life right now. If he says I have a future and a hope, then my experience right now should in some measure look like that. If I have a new identity, then there should be some sense in which there is not a struggle. If I have forgiveness of my sins, then I should experience the joy of it now. We might say we're confident that God will take us to heaven one day. We have a sure hope in that. We believe that it's true. But quickly, we are discouraged and crushed and dismayed in our hearts and our minds by the bumps that we hit on the road along the way. We believe in eternal security, but we have doubts in the day-to-day lives that we live now. And I wonder, and maybe wonder with me this morning, do we fret and are we anxious Because we just don't want to live a life of faith. We know what it means to have faith. But we just don't want to live a life that requires us to be on the edge. Of not having everything in our hands now. That the promises of God say we will have one day. We like things black and white. Lord here's your promise. I want to live in it. I want to be warmed by the assurance of that promise. I want the hope now. I like things clear and simple. And actually, if you would just give me a command, I will follow it, Jesus. I'll do it. And we kid ourselves when we think we can do what the righteous law of God demands. But we, in our legalistic minds, think, I would rather do something. I'd rather be your servant, Jesus, than be a son or daughter who has to live by faith. I want tangible things. I want security. I don't want to live in insecurity. I don't want to live with questions and wondering, what are you doing? This morning as we think about this text, the two that we've read from Luke chapter 1 and from 1 Kings chapter 12, this is part of the crisis of the redemption story. A broken house. And I want to think about these two homes in this specific way this morning. 
the house of the mute priest in Luke, and the house of the faithless king in 1 Kings 11 to 13. And I want you to think about these homes with kind of three subheadings. First, the providence of God. Second, the promise of God. And thirdly, their response or the result. As you think about Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth, in the providence of God, it says in Luke chapter 1 verse 6, it gives a nice introduction and maybe you think Luke's just being kind. But he says that they were both godly people. They kept the commandments of God. They were righteous. They lived before God. That is providential. That is not a mistake. That is providential that they lived as believers looking in faith to their God in heaven. It says in chapter 1 verse 7 that they were childless. They had no children. That also was in the providence of God. That as they were older in life, it says in chapter 1 verse 7, they had no children. And this was a status symbol in their day. It was also a reminder to them of God's presence and promise in their life. And they prayed about it and they weeped over it. I imagine for many years. And even the town's ladies knew. Later in the story, you see, they rejoiced at God's goodness to Elizabeth. So there was an understanding. Here is Zacharias, a priest of Israel. And here's Elizabeth, a barren woman, who God, for whatever reason, hasn't chosen to give them children. And it says in the Lord's providence, it just so happened that Zacharias the priest was serving according to his order during this time in verses 8 and 9. And I just want to remind you as you think about the providence of God in this story that God makes no mistakes. All of these things were according to his plan. Absolutely every one of them. They were according to what he was doing. And it says that while Zacharias was serving before the Lord, because providentially there are no mistakes, it happened to be that Zacharias had been chosen from his order to go and serve before the Lord at that time. And it says that while he was serving God in his presence, an angel came and spoke to him, and he was disturbed by it, as you can imagine. And this angel came and said, Zacharias, your prayers have been answered. They have been heard. You will have a son, and you're going to call his name John. In chapter 1, verse 14, it says that you will have joy and gladness because of this son. And he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Chapter 1, verse 15, and in chapter 1, verse 16, he will turn many of the hearts of the people to their God. This was an awesome and awe-striking message and also experience. The angel is telling, Gabriel is telling Zacharias, you prayed, you and your wife prayed, you longed for children. It's out of your hands, but God the Almighty is working a miracle and he will give you a son, even in your old age and your wife's old age. A miracle will take place. And not only will she maybe have a difficult pregnancy because of her age and her body, but you will have a son. You're going to call him John. And the angel is saying a message of hope from the God of heaven. Walk before me by faith, Zacharias. Walk before me by faith. Trust me that what I say I will do, that my promises are good, that my power is sufficient to take care of you. And what was the response? You know this story. The response and the result is that Zacharias doubted. How can this be? I'm old and probably the only person who's ever felt secure enough to say my wife is old. And we're going to have children. We're going to have a son, John. Doubt and unbelief. 
And so Gabriel says, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of Almighty God. And I came to bring you these glad tidings. But because you doubted, because you did not believe, you will be mute. And he was mute. From that moment until he wrote on some sort of parchment, his name is John, later in the gospel story. He was mute. In John 1, 63 to 64, he was quiet that whole time. So think about this. Zacharias is in his home. He went home with his wife. She is pregnant. Mary comes. He can't speak. He can't say anything. God, what are you doing? He knows the story. He hears what's going on, but he can't say a word. I imagine that must have been so frustrating for him and so frustrating for a priest. He's supposed to to encourage God's people and he can't speak a word. He can't say anything. I think you should see in this part of the story God's patient grace in the lives of his people when we don't have faith, when we don't believe. Switch gears with me. Go to 1 Kings 12. Let's talk a little bit about that story. First, we talked about the broken house of this mute priest. Secondly, the broken house of a faithless king in 1 Kings 11 to 13 and how these things go together. Because Zacharias' prophecy was that God had visited and redeemed his people, that he would raise up a ruler in the house of David. These are very significant bells and whistles, red flags, covenant language is going off. This is the Davidic covenant. God is making good on his promises that we looked at last week. That God is raising up a Messiah. Finally, God's people will be delivered from their enemies. Finally, we can worship him in righteousness and holiness all the days of our lives and not be fearful. That's what Zacharias prophesied. God, you are doing what you promised you would do. And then go back. A thousand years to the time when in 1 Kings 11, Solomon is reigning over David's kingdom. He's sitting upon the throne that God promised to give to David. He is the son that God promised to David would sit on his throne. In chapter 11, verse 6, it says that Solomon loved idols. And he loved them so much that he couldn't set them aside. It says that Jeroboam in chapter 11, verse 28, was a mighty man of valor. That he was the son of a widow. And that because he was so mighty and strong and the people followed him, that Solomon decided, I will set you over the workers and you will be, you will be responsible for them. So he's a recognized man in God's providence. And also in God's providence, after Solomon died, his son Rehoboam is king. And he's harsh and unwise in chapter 12, verse 14. He decides that it would be better for him to give a show of power than to have compassion on the people that God has given him to rule over. God's providence is written all throughout this story. It's set up perfectly for Jeroboam to hear the promises of God in chapter 11. While Solomon was still living, it says that a prophet went to Jeroboam and said, I am going to take the kingdom out of David's house. But for the sake of my servant David, I'm not going to take it out of Solomon's hands because I made a promise and I intend to keep it. I will keep it. That Solomon will stay on the throne, but I will take the kingdom from his son Rehoboam. And so this prophet, this man of God, has on a, a nice new robe. And he asked Jeroboam to take of the strips that the prophet had made. He takes 12 strips and he says, here, you take 10. 
God Almighty is saying to you that I will take out ten of the tribes of Israel. I will divide the kingdom and I'm going to give all ten of them to you. But because of my servant David and my promises to him, I will keep two with Rehoboam and he will reign over those in Judah. But you are going to be the king. And he gives him covenant promises. Covenant promises that God makes to Jeroboam, the son of a widow who is not of the royal line. He says, I will be with you. That was a covenant promise that God made to David. I will be with you wherever you go. I will make for you a house. Just as I made one for David. I will make you a royal dynasty. If you walk before me in your ways and keep my commandments. I will build for you a great name. And I will let you in chapter 11 verse 38. You will reign over all of Israel. Everything that your heart desires you will do. Those are the promises. God is saying to Rehoboam, you're not in the royal line, but I will make it so. I can make royal lines after all. And I will make one out of your house. Walk before me by faith, Jeroboam. I'll give you everything you need to be a king. You don't have the training. You've never been in court. You don't know what it means to preside over my people. I'll give you everything that you need. It will be the most incredible on-the-job training anyone has ever had. I will take care of you. The basis then, think about this for just a moment, the basis then of Jeroboam's kingdom and his kingship and the dynasty that God is promising him is this, faithfulness to the promise and the commands of God. God has said it before him. I will give you everything. What he's telling him is this, Matthew six thirty three. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Walk before me by faith. Trust me by faith in what I'm telling you. Hear my voice. Trust in me. Trust in my strength and in my promises. And we read the result. We read his response. Think about the providence of God. Why he even heard these words from the prophet. Think about the promises that God made to him. And then the response. Fear. Insecurity. And doubt. And in verse 28 to 33, idolatry and false worship. Not only does he not keep God's commandments and walk in his ways, he decides to set up an entirely different type of worship, complete with priests and feasts and altars and a new place. Let's make worship convenient, is what he's decided to do. If we don't trust the promises and the commands of God, We don't simply trust in nothing. Do you have a promise of God before you? Absolutely you do. If you choose to have faith in that promise, by God's grace, you are trusting in Him. If you choose not to, it doesn't mean you're not trusting in nothing. If you don't, you will seek your security in this life and into the next, in some lesser thing, some other form of heart idolatry, You don't just trust in nothing and not worship. You will give yourself entirely to that thing. Insecurity, lack of faith, and idolatry go hand in hand. I want to ask you, dear believer, what is your security and your hope? What is it that you have rest your life upon and your life's energy and strength? Notice, as we read in that passage in 1 Kings 12, 
It wasn't the kingdom of God and his glory that Jeroboam was interested in when he set up all the religious centers throughout the land of Israel. It was an idolatrous idea. In his heart and in his mind, he's insecure. And it's hard to see these two things going together, but we see it in our own lives. It says that he was chosen by Solomon because he was a mighty man of valor. This was a man to be contended with, and the people followed him. And when the time came and he was on the seat, what he decided to do was run away from God in insecurity and fear. He didn't set up these worship centers throughout the land of the northern tribes because he was interested in the kingdom of God. It was an idolatrous idea that if I keep the people physically here, if I control where they are, if I keep them looking at me, then my kingdom will be secure. It's how I will maintain power. And what he is saying in his heart, what you see here is, I need control. I'd rather be God than God be God. I know how to secure my kingdom. I know what it means to keep order in my life. I know what to do. But it was a duplication And a falsification of the worship of the living God. And isn't this also true in our day and in our land? That we can speak about any religious or spiritual figure. But don't you dare name the name the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it true that we are told and it's even mandated in our own laws that we are to esteem any spiritual or religious figure on the one hand to say that it's equally valid to our own. We're to embrace relativism in the spiritual sense. And yet, on the other hand, it's entirely acceptable in our society and even applauded to mock the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We do not dare mock Muhammad or anyone else for fear of what might happen. This world is upside down. We have given in to the lies. We've believed the lies. Here are your gods. This is how you are safe and secure. It seems here, as you think about the promises that God made to David last week, it seems that the house that God promised to David has entirely fallen down. Solomon built the temple, and then wonder of wonders, he deserted God for idols. And I know that We don't have a sense of what it means that he built a temple or what it looked like, but it was glorious. The Ark of the Covenant was there. The sacrifices were done there. Praises and offerings to God were offered there. And he thought, I can have this. I can enjoy the presence of God and relish idolatry in my heart. That I can mix the two. That I can make God what I want. It seems that the house that God promised to David has fallen Solomon deserted God. Rehoboam's first move as a king was to grasp power, and he lost it. The first thing he did as king was to try to crush the people. I'll show them. I have strength. And he said, almost in a cynical way, that my little finger will be broader than my dad's waist. You have no idea what's coming. And God ripped the kingdom out of his hands. Jeroboam decided he would take the therapeutic route and trust his feelings over faith. And set up a systematic way of worship of idols. Not only did he go beyond what Aaron did. One calf wasn't enough. He set up two. Here are your gods. This is who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Worship him. 
In fear, we are easily tempted to despair. That not just David's house has failed, but maybe that God's promises have failed too. But wonder with me for just a moment. Could it be that as we think about life or our church or this world or even your home, that God brings glory to himself in broken things? That it's the way he chooses to do it. It is his choice. That he exists on a plane different than ours. That we cannot understand his ways. We acknowledge that. But then we have difficulty seeing that in the midst of it. When the mud and the water is rising on our own feet and legs. God, what are you doing? We talked about a few broken houses. The broken house of the mute priest. The broken house of Jeroboam. The house of David. What about yours? What about your house? I'm not talking about the structure. I'm talking about you and your family. And God's indelible work in your family. We can look at Jeroboam and look at Zacharias and say, no mistakes. God makes no mistakes. We look at our own family. The makeup of it. The shape of it our children, the challenges that we go through day in and day out, year after year, the dynamics of family working together and relating together in a good way. Consider the promises of God to your own family. These are not small promises. Your covenant God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. He says, I will provide for you. And isn't what I give you enough? And isn't what I give you exactly what you need? He says, I will protect you. I will take care of you. I will be your security. I will guide you. I will show you the way to walk. Isn't it enough, dear people of God, the promises that he has given us? But I wonder, and I think this is a question, and it is a question for me as much as it is for you, is it possible that some of the stress and the anxiety in your family and in my own, is because we've attempted to create a counterfeit peace and security system to substitute a life of faith before the living God. I don't want to live by faith. I esteem those who do. I enjoy God's promises. But I just don't want to live by faith. It's too hard. So I come up with ways to keep me and my family secure, to take care of things, to get faith out of the way can't look at that. We're reformed people. We are Presbyterians. We rejoice in the doctrines of grace. But maybe we live in denial of them every day because by default the depravity of the sinfulness of man runs amok in our homes. And there's nothing we can do to protect ourselves from its impact. Nothing that you can do to keep the depravity of your heart from not spilling out into areas in your life and in mine. Can you admit in faith before God, my home, my home is broken just like theirs. My home is broken. In fear and in unbelief, we deflect. And maybe you do this like I do. 
man, it's been a tough year. Where we just have this wayward child, this disconnected child who doesn't seem to want to walk in God's ways. But if, if these things weren't the case, we would be a family that loves God. We would be a family that serves Him. Or my spouse is disconnected. I can't, I can't live this way. But that's the reason why things are not going the way that we thought they would. Or maybe a devastating financial loss. We can come up with all kinds of reasons why. I just can't live by faith because of these challenges. But can we acknowledge before the living God that these kind of things are the way that God works in families? He raises dead things to life. He fixes things that are broken. And you and I can't set up enough security to keep those things from coming through. And maybe that's part of the reason we are so stressed out as a culture. Because we've given into the lie that we don't need God. Just go to these things and you'll have security. And because we know we don't, we are stressing ourselves out. And we're at everyone and at each other. I pray this Christmas season, dear church, don't see a little baby in a manger. See your king who makes great, strong promises to you and to your family. You weren't meant to bear the weight of securing a life for yourself and for your children. You are meant to trust in the King who is coming and who did come. So that's point number one, a broken house. And point number two, briefly, the glorious Son of God. He is the King. But he's more than a baby. He's more than a cute baby in a manger. He's more than the baby who laid in a feed trough. And the proof is in this. Because sin is far worse than you and I ever imagined possible. It runs deeper in our lives than we could ever believe it to be so. And praise the Lord, God doesn't show us every bit of it. He does it gradually. That's why if you talk to some of the gray-haired heads in this room, they will tell you. After all these years of walking with God, I know more now of my sin than I ever did when God called me to Himself. Because if He showed it to you all at once, you would drop. But God's promises from this King who sits on the throne are far richer than anything you could ever imagine and better than anything you could ever dream up yourself. And God's grace extends farther than we ever are willing to extend it to one another. That is the promise of hope in the gospel. His deliverance is more than what Zacharias read, said in the prophecy that we read this morning. It's more than deliverance from our enemies. It is from the power and the penalty of sin. Some of you walk around in guilt. I'm a sinner. And you are. But God's promise is that in the Lord Jesus Christ, He has delivered you from the guilt of sin. You are not the things that you do. You are a child of the living God. And yes, you fail. And I fail. And maybe things would be better between us if we just admitted that. Everybody knows it. My house is broken. Your house is broken. 
Your heart is riddled with sin, and so is mine. And apart from the Lord Jesus, none of us have victory in those things. What is our hope? Our hope is in the Lord. And more than having a tidy, neat house, and I don't mean the decorations or your furniture, though maybe if you need deliverance there, dear friend, Your hope is not in having a nice, neat, tidy family where everybody gets along and everything goes well. Your hope is rejoicing in the glory of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 17, verse 24. Jason spoke about this last week in adult Sunday school. Jesus prayed. The Lord Jesus Christ, before he went to the cross, prayed for you and me that we would see the glory of Jesus And you better believe if he prayed for it, we're going to see it. One day we will see it. I want to end with a reading from Job chapter 19, verses 23 to 27. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. That they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and led forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And he shall stand at last. On the earth, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. How my heart yearns within me. I pray that you're encouraged hearing that, dear believer. You will see the King, He is coming. Are you prepared to meet him? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you and praise you for your word. And for your hand of providence that is written from one page to the next. That you write this way in the scriptures on purpose that our hearts might be encouraged. To know that the same God who wrote these promises and gave us these stories and instructions. Are so that we might see the same God and powerful king who rules over this earth and all of human history is the God who desires to rule over our hearts and in our families as well. Lord, I pray for Lebanon Presbyterian Church and for everyone here today that we would look to Jesus to be the one who secures our home. And Lord, may most of all be the priority of our hearts that we, husbands and wives and children and grandchildren, and our friends and our neighbors not be taken away with the things of this world, but that we would hope to see the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would have faith in what you provide and what you promise to do for your people. And Lord, help us to have wisdom to know that if you are not giving us something, that we don't need it. I pray for the security of our hearts before you. You say that you won't lose one of those who belongs to you. And I pray that that would be an encouragement to us, Lord. If there are any in our midst today who are fearful for their children or for their grandchildren, will they know the Lord? Will they be in heaven one day? I pray, Lord, that you would encourage their hearts, that those whom you hold, you do not let go. You hold us fast. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's Let's respond together by standing and singing hymn number 201, O Little Town of Bethlehem.
Thank you, Callie. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being able to return back to you now a portion of what you have so richly blessed each of us with. And Lord, we thank you for the the gift and the beauty of the music we just heard. Help us, Lord, to keep in our hearts that you choose to work in small and what seems to be little ways. The Lord Jesus coming as a baby in a little place in Bethlehem. And you did it on purpose. Lord, I pray that you would help us to think about that even in our own lives, that on purpose you cause us to live by faith. And every Sunday we pause and return to you tithes and offerings. That it's no small thing that we participate in it. It is a statement of our faith in you that for another week you have provided and we trust that you will continue to do so. Lord, help us to believe this by faith. Grow your kingdom. Use these offerings for the sake of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that lost sinners will hear of him because of our obedience to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. singing today verse 3 of Joy to the World. It's in the bulletin for you to, to sing along together there. Receive the benediction of our Lord. Now may the God who never abandons you and never lets go of you go before you in your darkness, stand beside you in your fears, and make you faithful in your temptations until Jesus comes again. And He is. Amen. Amen.